Well, howdy. Welcome to the Front Porch Theology Podcast. My name is Will Basham. I'm going to be your host today, and I'm here with... Heather. <laughs> and Jason. Heather and Jason Cook. Um, Heather is normally our host, but we've switched seats, and so now yeah. you're on the hot seat yeah. um, to be interviewed today. It is hot. Yeah. <laughs> are you sweating already? I am already. What are you, what are you nervous about? Because your husband's here? I don't know. She's nervous that I've come to set the record straight, a reckoning of the truth. Jason has come to yes. to correct all your lies that oh, you tell on the lot. podcast. Oh, on uh, the podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not in loft. Okay. Well, we Jason, to welcome to the studio, man. It's good to good to have you here. Thank you on for the having podcast me, with us. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we're gonna we're gonna be talking today um, about Christian ministry, and and I'm I'm excited to talk to you guys because I like. Um, I like the model that you guys are and the example you are to our church, um, and I think to other Christians too, of, of just like what a husband and wife should should be in ministry. Um, and so we're going to talk about ordinary ministry, we're going to talk pastoral ministry, um, a lot of different things, and um, and just like family ministry, what ministry looks like in your home, and um, and then a little bit of your experience, right? So, um, so thankful for you guys. You guys have been a member at our church for coming up on now? four years. Four years, okay. It's been a long time. Are y'all sick know. of us yet? Not yet. <laughs> well, uh, depends on the day, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and Jeremy. Yeah. Well, and you've been hosting our podcast for a while now too. Yeah, I don't know. Two I, years at least. Two years. Yeah, we're coming okay. up on two years. Coming up fall. on two years. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know what possessed us to make you the host of our podcast, but um, that must have been a Holy Spirit thing because it's been a good. It's Absolutely. been a good transition. And, <laughs> Um, you challenge us, so I'm glad to get to host and challenge you a little bit today. I want to start by reading Ephesians 4, um, 11 and 12. This passage says that, that God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And um, and so what I think is so important, and as a pastor, I'm always trying to preach this and emphasize this, is that um, if you are a Christian, you are in ministry. Right. Yeah. Um, why do you Why do you think that um, Why do you think that's so hard for Christians to understand? A lot of times. I'll, uh, I'm sure Jason could answer this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna answer first. I think it's really important because um, I think I think just the word ministry um, it's been assigned people kind of assign that with uh, pastors or a preachers' um, role to minister. Um, And I think that um, a lot of times that we just get hung up on that, people do. And um, I'm sure in some places they still do. But everybody has a role in ministry, um, no matter uh, what their role is in the church, whether it's being um, the janitor who cleans the church um, to the person who picks up the mail. I mean, everybody has a role in ministry, not just the pastor of the church. Yeah. So the word ministry just means service. So like service to the Lord service in the church um jason i know you've heard the the phrase like surrender to a call to ministry you know those types of things so like what um you wrote a book old time religion and talk you talk a lot about this in your book but like what role do you think like appalachian tradition plays in in the misconception (laughs) of pastors are the ones in ministry not not all christians yeah sure so that's been my experience and i think that a lot of it comes down to what heather said there is a very there's a very divided line in the eyes of a lot of people between, you know, like the clergy and the laity, even though I think a lot of, 
you know, people wouldn't use that terminology, but the pastor is kind of seen as the person that does the ministry. He's the ministry professional. Mm-hmm. And some of that's connected to this sense of, of call. Um, it's it's really something when you look around, you see a lot of examples of that, where the pastor is the one that does the ministry. Uh, there's really not a widely held concept of the plurality of elders, so it's uh, one of those things where it's kind of all focused in one direction, and I think that people don't understand the definition that you gave earlier of ministry, which is service. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, we may get into this in a little bit, but I've kind of been on both sides of the fence. I spent, uh, you know, I spent 13 years in ordained ministry, 13 or 14 years with the United Baptist denomination. Uh, I was an associate pastor for over a decade, and uh Again, we can get into it more. Came to New Heights, where I've been a member uh, for coming up on four years. So I've seen both sides of it, and I've got to experience kind of the perception of what ministry is, kind of on both sides of the fence. Yeah. So when when I um what I what I would have described as answered a call to ministry, um, I think I think we answer a call to ministry when we get saved. Absolutely. But um, what I would have described years ago as answering a call to ministry was after Amanda and I went on a, a mission trip to Mexico, and I I. I became like so burdened that I'd never led anyone to Jesus and I wanted to lead people to Christ. Um, and my reaction to that, the only thing I knew to do is start preaching and, and like get into training to become a pastor. Um, and that's faulty thinking, right? I mean, like that's, that's, that's not the only way you lead people to Jesus is by yeah. becoming a pastor. And, um, and so like, I, I would love for you to talk a little bit, Jason, about like the transition from pastoral ministry. Um, I've heard you describe it before as like, uh, becoming an ordinary church member and like how you've embraced that. Um, talk to us a little bit about why that's been so life giving for you and and what that transition was like. Yeah, so uh, not the mission trip, but other than that, I you and I have had very similar experiences mm-hmm. coming into ministry, experiencing the call to ministry. And I think what happens in Appalachian context, uh, which is all I've ever known, is that a lot of times a call to ministry if you're a young guy. I was mm-hmm. uh, 19 when I was set aside for ministry. If you express a desire to serve in a yeah. greater way, you have that burden. There's one pathway available to you, and right. that's you're going to become a preacher. Yeah. Uh, so, um, as far as like what it's looked like for me going from being a pastor to a ordinary Christian, is uh, it's been eye opening. Um, again, as I said earlier, I spent you know 14 or 15 years in pastoral ministry, and what it was necessary for, as I left my previous church, it also meant me, for those that don't know me or maybe haven't, that don't know who I am or haven't read the book, I left my church uh, to come to New Heights, but as a part of that leaving, it also meant leaving the denomination that I was brought up in. Uh, the, the reasons for that were various from a difference in how I thought ministry should be done to theological, uh, changing in my theological convictions to be where I'm at today at New Heights. So there were a variety of reasons, but uh, it all lined up perfectly, and what it meant for me was that I would be leaving the ordained ministry to be an ordinary church member. Um, So some of that comes back to what uh, it means to be an elder and my own convictions on that, uh, which just very briefly are, I've really come to the conviction that, that 
the uh, being an elder to be in that office, it's very much connected to the church that you're at, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit different than how some others operate. And uh, it's meant so many different things for me. And uh, Heather, I'd like for you to jump in on it too, just in the change of what our ministry and what our services looked like. But um at first, it was a bit of a shock. Like, it was a, a bit of a shock to my system. Um, you know, I went from a position where I was often up on the stage or the platform or however you want to say, preaching regularly to being more in the pews. Yeah. And I uh, went from being in a position of, of authority, uh, you know, with the office of elder to uh, just being a regular Christian. So it uh, changed my perspective on a couple things. Um, it was challenging, but it was also life-giving in some other areas. Uh, so it's really been, been a journey and honestly, one that I'm glad that I've undertaken and I've been able to be an encouragement to some other people that have undertaken a similar journey uh, on their way. I think other people have come to New Heights for similar reasons that I have and have a similar story. But uh, there's also, I think, other people that need to hear that message, too. But, yeah, when we transitioned, Heather, it meant a big change in, uh, yeah, for you it was, as well. Uh, it was a really big change for me for many reasons. Um, you know, when we got married, you were already um, an assistant pastor getting ready to be a pastor. Well, you were a pastor at a church when we got married. Um, See, when Amanda married me, the pastor wasn't on the table, so she yeah. got tricked into this. You yeah. kind of knew what you were It was a big part of our... Uh, <laughs> um, I did. It was a big part of our story. Um, like, we... I mean, we dated and met were engaged. We met at church camp. So it's a big part of our story. So when we got married, he was a pastor of a church. And um, soon after that, we went to the, the church where we did ministry for over 10 years. And um, so for me, I always had the... Um, I always had the label of a preacher's wife or minister's wife on me. Um, so when we when we stepped down and uh, transitioned to just ordinary church members instead of um, leaders of the church, it was a really big deal. Um, it was really scary uh, for me. Uh, I have a lot of um, for anybody who knows me. I ha- <laughs> I have a lot of. Uh, just personal issues that are related to childhood trauma. And um, so I really found We've got other security. issues like beyond that, too. Yeah, beyond that, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whole, I come with a couple suitcases full of it. <laughs> no comment. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I had found security in uh, my church, in our church that we served in. Uh, a lot of my identity had gotten wrapped up in the ministry roles that I served in. Um, so it was a scary thing. I had just started to do a lot of personal work. Um, and counseling to kind of work through a lot of that. Um, and I also had kind of just started to, um, we've talked before on the podcast about building my own, your own grown-up faith from the yeah. childhood faith mm-hmm. that you, you're raised in. But So it was a scary thing for me because um, I was leaving something that I knew and loved and that I found a lot of security and in, in, um, just I knew my place in. Uh, it was also a really exciting time because, you know, when we got married, obviously we didn't have kids. We did ministry work for seven or eight years before we had kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Benjamin was three, I think, whenever we left our church and came to New Heights. Yeah. Um, I was a parent mm-hmm. for three years in the church. And, um, you know, Jason, there were a lot of times we didn't even ride together 
um, <laughs> we took separate cars. Yeah. Um, I, you know this better than anybody. You take separate cars. Um, I was excited for a lot of reasons because we were going to get to be just an ordinary family in church. Mm-hmm. Um, other than us just like attending church, like I don't know that Jason and I ever sat together in church until we started coming to New Heights. There was a couple services when we were at our old church where we sat together, and it was a little bit awkward because people like expected us to be doing right. our roles as um, that we were in there. Um, but like I have loved it very much because we've really got to focus on our family, discipling our family, growing our family, growing our marriage. Um, so it was. It was a lot of mixed emotions at the time, um, scary, nervous. Um, it's looking back like it's, I, I think it's probably definitely saved our marriage and um, saved our family in a lot of ways because we've been able to just grow in different ways mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and that pastor's wife role was really hard, particularly on Sundays. Um, and especially mm-hmm. like in the tradition y'all were in, you were doing like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, probably some other, you know, revivals or whatever thrown in there too. And um, yeah, and you, you like pastor's wife, you're like you're a single mom in that. I mean, I remember when um, it was the Thursday before our wedding, we did Lady Circle. Um, our church did. It was the first Thursday you of ever. Lady Circle. We talk about the women's fellowship is. groups. You're going to have to ex- define what Lady Circle is. It's a, no, it's okay. It's, Sounds like um, something you're not allowed to talk about. Well, um, I remember the. First rule of Lady Circle is don't talk about Lady (laughs) Circle. What happens in Lady Circle stays in Lady Circle. I remember several uh, ministers' wives just, um, you know, they they were kind of, these were women who had helped raise me, who had mentored me. And um, I remember a few of the ministers' wives just, like, hugging me and, like, crying and sobbing and telling me, like, this is going to change your life and you don't know it. And um, your husband, you know. Like, like, in a good way or bad way? Maybe I a think both. like I are think they like they both. were mourning like I think a little you have both. no idea like, how hard this is yeah they be. they knew yeah. I didn't know that I like because you don't know right. until you're in right. it um, I think it was a little both like the joy of being a pastor's wife um, but then also um, we had seen so many families that probably didn't have necessarily healthy relationships in their homes mm-hmm. w- between husband and wife and yeah. the father and children in yeah. who were in ministry who were in uh, pastoring and preaching yeah. uh, role uh, role so um it it was um i remember like that was a time that i was really scared because like i just saw this lady sobbing like saying there's going to be times that your kid is sick at night and your husband's going to have to leave and go to the hospital because there's somebody who's dying who needs yeah. prayer and you know your husband's going to have to abandon you and your family um to go do ministry work and um, so it's there's a lot of expectations on the pastor's wife and on on the pastor's families. Um, some of it I, were unrealistic expectations I put on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a people pleaser, so um, obviously really? a little bit. I'm trying. I'm recovering. I'm trying to work through it. Four years. I think you've making. gotten over that. I feel like I know. You don't I, try to please me or Jeremy ever. I lied to Amanda at a car wash earlier this week because <laughs> I didn't want conflict when I was canceling my um, membership at the car wash. So I lied to him. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But I told him we were moving. I didn't tell him why I was canceling. It was cause, you know. Um, so I, I don't like conflict. I don't like, uh, I like to please people. A lot of that stems from some things growing up. But um, so when I, when I stepped into the role as 
as Jason's wife, as pastor's wife, like I, t- I put a lot of pressure on myself to please people and mm-hmm. to do different things. So um, that it was it was a good thing for me, I think, because I was coming to a place in um, my life where I was doing some personal work and counseling, and um, it was very life giving for me. Uh, it was it was able I was able to just be renewed and refreshed in my faith, yeah. um, and in my relationship with the Lord and the church and with Jason even uh, because I didn't have all that resentment and anger toward him as a as a pastor who. Yeah, you know, had all these roles to play on Sundays and well, and Wednesdays. the and the like, um, like the expectations. Most of, the, especially on a pastor's wife, the expectations are often unfair, um, yes, and unbiblical. Um, I mean, we've talked to we've talked to like young men in our in our church that are like considering pastoral ministry and talk to their wives and like it's always interesting to ask like what the wives like what do you, what do you think um, you need to develop or improve on to be a pastor's wife and and it's like you realize that there's not an office of pastor's wife there's not there's not a list of requirements for pastor's wife like there is for pastors in the Bible yeah. and so like pastor's wives don't have to all look the same and do the same thing and you know be the youth leader be the kids ministry director play piano or whatever and um, those expectations show up and they're and they're unfair and I think it stems from like a a, a bad theology a, a misunderstanding of the fact that okay everyone in the church is supposed to be in, in ministry and um, and we're going to dump it all on the pastor and then by um, by proxy dump it his on wife. his wife too and yeah. um, and that's why a plurality is so important too um, I really think you know, the plurality of elders is biblical, but it's but practically and pragmatically it's so important because um, because like every pastor needs needs time where he can focus on his family or because if he loses his family he, he can't he's disqualified from, from pastoral ministry at all. And um, and so that's that's just so important and um, and I think I think uh, the reason I thank God for you guys is because you've been like such a good example and model of like um, that you can continue in ministry without continuing in whatever the Appalachian ideal of ministry is. Like, cause, cause you guys transitioned out of like pastoral ministry, but you didn't stop ministry. Like you didn't stop serving in the church. You didn't stop, um, being evangelists and disciple makers and, and doing the things that the Lord calls you to do. So, um, and that's something, you know, and it's been difficult for me to explain to people. Uh, so it's probably worth saying that, you know, I've certainly not ruled out uh, become being an elder again yeah. at a point in the future, but that's not been my position the last couple of years. It, the conversation that we're having, I mean, it touches on multiple issues, uh, healthy churches, healthy church rhythms, uh, what is an elder, um, what, what the office should be, what the role should look like. And there's, I mean, we're, we're touching on multiple issues. Um, what is, you know, like healthy family life, uh, look like, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, uh, it's been very beneficial. I mean, I can say in hindsight, I don't know that I set out with this in mind to learn, but in hindsight, something I've really been taught is it's been very good for my own soul and my own perspective as a Christian, as a person that, that does ministry. And, you know, if I am in a leadership and eldership position again one day, it's been a healthy readjustment of, of my perspective. Yeah. Um, just in, in multiple, and we could get into some of that, but in multiple ways, it's really helped to, you know, to center, uh, to recenter me and, um, just just give me a different perspective and i've had a lot of people privately come to me and say you know i really respect what you're doing i've had other people that don't understand honestly they're yeah. like well you're 
you're you're still an elder. And I'm like, no, actually, I'm not. I'm not an elder <laughs> at New Heights. Uh, right. I, I'm a member. Yeah. And because there is a tradition, this is a little bit of a side conversation. There is a tradition in Appalachia where you can be a floating itinerant right. preacher. Right. That's not really connected to any church. Right. Maybe not even go to church except to do a revival. Unless you're preaching. Unless you're, <laughs> and yeah, not go to church unless you're preaching. And to be honest, that option was probably available to me. I could have held on yeah. to some kind of ordination credential, perhaps, but it was not. That would, to me, uh, my own. A sense of integrity uh, wouldn't permit it because, I, again, my convictions about what an, uh, an elder is is deeply connected to the local church, and I think that's a healthy yeah, rhythm. I agree. But, uh, you know, having that conversation has been difficult with people they don't understand. Uh, to be honest, some people uh, think that I've forsaken that call that you you talked about yeah. earlier because they don't understand what the call really is. Um, and in other... But it's others, all mystified, uh, too, right? Like, yeah. it, <clears throat> Appalachian tradition has created a mysticism surrounding a call to preach, hmm. um, where, like, if you look at the qualifications of elder, pastor, shepherd, bishop, that office, the, the very first requirement is, is if he desire? desires the office, yes. right? If a man desires this office... And I've I've always grown up here and like I ran from the call to preach. I yeah. you know, I tried to get away from it and the Lord just you know, it's like it's like this monkey on your back that you can't get rid of and that's how you know if you're really called. Well it's like, okay, but then when I read the Bible it says if a man wants to do this. Which which I think implies if he doesn't want to do it, that he can step out of that role, right? Um and not be and not be forsaking the gospel. Like you can step out of the yeah. pastoral role and and still be a very godly person. Yeah, you know? and it's a thought that I need to develop more. So I can't. I wouldn't speak on it with any kind of authority today. But I've oh, my conviction has shifted to a place where I think it might be healthy and good for somebody to come in and out of that role in yeah. the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's a thought I need to develop further. But I wanted to say this before we move on. A lot of people came to me privately and said I when they kind of seen my journey, they've said, you know, there, I know people, my father, my yeah. friend, uh-huh. other people I've known, they need to take the step that you've taken mm-hmm. because they've grown bitter, they're burnt out, and they've painted themselves into a corner. Uh, what they're doing is not sustainable, it's not biblical, but they don't know how to get out. Right. And I, I, people have come to me privately and said that, and you know, maybe I can model a healthy uh, way to do that, and by also being you know, honest about some of the challenges mm-hmm. uh, that come along with it, but also the blessings. You know, one challenge is... One challenge is, and it's good for your soul, but it's hard for your ego, is practicing. I've tried to practice obscurity in the church as a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not up on stage, yeah. and I'm not having the last word, and right. I'm not making the decisions. And I hear about the decisions after they've been made. Yeah. And there's a little part of your ego that says, I should have been in on that. Or, right. oh, I've got a great thought that I need to share. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a great discipline in being able to just sit and be an ordinary Christian. Mm-hmm. And to, to, yeah, just to not always have to have your say or your way about things. There's a, there, it's, it's good for your soul. Uh, on the other hand, on a positive note, 
uh, I've been able to do more discipleship work the last couple years than I probably was able to do in many years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to be able to, whether it's trying to, you know, find people in all my social awkwardness, I still do it. I find people on <laughs> Sunday morning and go talk to them. Yeah. And I'm able to have conversations uh, because I have more time, honestly, because I'm not concerned with matters of the church and matters right. of you, authority. You don't have a sermon connected. in the back of your head that you're have, getting ready to preach. Absolutely. I've, um, because Sundays are just like scatterbrained for, for most pastors. And so like one of the things that's most helpful is like having people that are willing to to be awkward like you, Jason. So like, Heather, I don't know Let's if you know this, it. but like sometimes I'll go to Jason and I'll like tap him on the shoulder. I'll be like, hey, that person, this is their first time here at our church. Like I want you to go meet them. And I don't know what he says to him. I'm sure it's incredibly <laughs> awkward, but he'll go do it. You know? Do they come back? If we counted that. Some of them. Uh, okay, I don't yeah. know that our return rate's fantastic. But So I do the same thing um, when I meet new people. At, like uh, just a few weeks ago, we sat down in front of a couple, and I was like, hey, I've never seen you before. My name's Heather. Um, this is my son, Benjamin. And Benjamin was like acting like an animal. Um, so, and like it was very awkward. And like I was, so Jason and I do that together. We just. Yeah. Don't plan it's a, it. It's a spiritual we gift. Don't plan it. Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Social awkwardness is a spiritual gift you both possess. And um Thank I'm, you. I'm proud of proud of y'all Thanks. and that you, thankful for it. Um I wanted to I wanted to look at this case study um in the Bible of someone who, who left pastoral ministry and then returned to it later. Um and it's it's a guy that, that actually wrote one of the gospels, a guy named Mark. And um you see, you see this in Acts 15. It says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, I don't know that I want to be audacious enough to say that Paul was wrong in this, <laughs> but I will I will be audacious enough to say Barnabas was right in this by, by going and getting Mark um, a, a man who had been in some sort of itinerant um, apostolic ministry. He had traveled with them on their first missionary journey, returned to Jerusalem, and uh, Barnabas sees in him a gift, and he goes to him and says, hey, I want I want you to continue in, in this uh, pastoral ministry. We know uh, from secular history and from the rest of the Bible that Mark does kind of return to pastoral ministry, and uh, Paul even writes in, uh, I think it's Second Timothy, um, send Mark to me. He's useful for the ministry. Um, so even Paul kind of understands that Mark still had a place, you know, you can't write people off. And, um, and I think, I think it's just valuable that God, first of all, that God gives us this example included in the Bible. Um, you have this separation of Paul and Barnabas over their disagreement, but you have, um, you have this beautiful story of someone stepping out of one type of ministry, but not giving up on ministry altogether. And I think, um, Maybe, maybe I could just ask you guys this. Like, what advice would you give to people that maybe feel burnout in ministry? Um, how, can they, how can they continue to be faithful in ordinary ministry without giving up ministry altogether, but maybe transition out of something they feel burnout in? You okay if I answer? Yeah, go ahead. I'll something um, at the end. So this is something that I've experienced and that uh, as leaders of a church that we saw um, happening a lot um, with our people – who were serving in the church. Um, I think there's a few, there's a few different thoughts that I have. Um, one is, um, 
when ministry gets to the point where you feel like you have to do it instead of you get to do it, then that's where you need to be very self-aware um, and self-reflective as to whether it is something that you feel like God's called you to do or if you just saw a need and stepped into mm-hmm. it. Um, there's ministry work. I mean, there's good ministry work everywhere um, from Sunday school teacher um, to uh, doing a ministry outreach for homeless, uh, widows, widowers, um, you know, all, all these different, I mean, there's a million ministries that we could sit here and name today. Um, so there, there's always an opportunity for anybody to do ministry work. But, um, uh, one thing for me was, um, I, I would see a need and someone may ask me, um, even if somebody didn't ask me, I was very, I was always just very <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to help with this because yeah. I even, I have a, a struggle with that sometimes today, like a, a friend's birthday party, like a friend who might be having a birthday party for a kid. Like I see her like struggling and I'm like, I'm yeah. going to go help her. I'm going to go and fill this need. Um, but I think a lot of times we, we feel like that, um, you know, because we are called to ministry and because we're called to do, um, to service, to serve others, to serve a God that we feel like we have to jump in and do it. Um, and I think a lot of times we think, Oh, I may have a little bit of spare time, but a lot of times Mm -hmm. what it turns into is, uh, nobody else is going to do this. So I have to do it. Like, that's where I was a lot. Um, especially I, I did a lot of teen ministry and youth ministry work. Um, and I always felt like no one else will do this or they won't do it. (laughs) Honestly, they won't do it as well as me. Um, so I think a lot of times we get hung up in our, in our own minds. Um, and, um, I heard, I heard on a podcast a few years ago and it's really changed, um, my thoughts on ministry or it's, it's been able to help me be more just self-aware and self-reflective. Like when ministry becomes more about me instead of the ministry of the gospel and, and Jesus, then that's where, um, it's called ministry instead Mm -hmm. of ministry, you know, because it's about me. Um, and that was something that was hard for me. I had to realize that, um, that I was burnt out and that I was also trying to, um, I had too many, what's the saying to me sticks in the fire. Yeah. We could go with that. Too many irons in the fire. Also irons. (laughs) That's what Jason's here to correct my, Incorrect. Too many sticks in the fire just makes the fire bigger. <laughs> it does, doesn't yeah. it? Too many irons in the fire. Thank you all. Oh, this is why I hate you all. Um, <laughs> Settle down. Settle down. But, um, you know, for, I think the big thing is, like, when you when ministry gets to the place where um, where you feel like you have to instead of it's an opportunity to get to serve, um, then that becomes a problem. And, That's you good. know, I think... I think uh, for like Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yeah, right? yeah, and so um, you know, just just personally, like that was something um, that was very harmful to my marriage, and it wasn't until years later that I saw that. Um, you know, I felt like that I had to do mm-hmm. ministry, and I had to I had to go to uh, sporting events, or I had to go to things yeah. that my kids in youth ministry were in um, because it was part of the call of ministry. I had to do it, not that I get to. And doing that, um, I avoided some problems in my marriage and some problems that were going on in me, and um, that went on for years and was an issue. The whole other uh, issue yeah. <laughs> uh, that we could spend more time talking about later but um but it i think i think you you see a lot of people doing that and uh it just it kind of sucks the joy out of them and unfortunately a lot of times when people experience church burnout you see them walk away from the church yeah 
Um, and I think that if, I think if we could just be, um, more self-aware and self-reflective, um, and see whenever we're having those experience, you know, those times of burnout, you know, talking, it, ho- hopefully if someone would talk to their pastor and, uh, talk about it, their pastor would uh, advise them, you know, to, to step away for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was when we came to new heights, there was a period of time where we did not do ministry work. We just kind of wanted to just be church members who came, who, uh, you know, not more for a healing mm-hmm. uh, purpose and yeah. just a renewing um, of our faith and of our minds and stuff um, to kind of get into healthier rhythms and habits of what ministry should look like. Um, so I, I think the big thing is, um, and you know, I know that we probably, you probably see this more than than us just because you are a leader you know it, it still happens today people still get burnt out i think just being able to communicate that you know hey i'm struggling hey i'm having a hard time being able to feel like that you have to do it that somebody else can't step in and fill the role um in in taking time off if you need to um you know there's always place for anybody at the table when it comes to ministry um and you can the beautiful thing about it is you can take time off um and step out of it and take care of you or whatever else is going on um and you can step right back into it and you know in doing that that's a beautiful ministry in and of of itself too Mm -hmm. to be able to show that example yeah this is something i'm very passionate about because I've had this conversation uh, over the last decade. Five or six people that I love very dearly come to mind. Mm-hmm. I sat down with them in our home, I think, yeah. and and they were expressing that they were getting burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I advised, hey, you can take a step back. Uh, you can take a break. You can do something else. Or, you know, heaven forbid, maybe this thing doesn't have to happen. Yeah. And 100% of the time, they insisted on pushing, mm-hmm. on keeping on pushing on. And they really weren't receptive to that advice. Because, and this is the first thing I would add, because they thought that, well, it may have happened to other people, but I'll be the exception. Right. And of these five or six people that I'm thinking of that I dearly love, mm-hmm. all of them are either not in church today or they kind of drift and are not really connected and rooted to the local church yeah. because they hit a place of burnout. Yeah. Um, even though they insisted that they wouldn't and it had to be done. And then the end or, you know, the last is worse than the first, I guess you could say. Right. So I think that I'm very passionate about that because what's the point of continuing to push on in that moment if it just means that you're, you're out of the ministry, out of the church in yeah. a couple of years? That's a disaster. Right. Um, I think that uh, as far as, uh, you know, burn and burnout is kind of a, a, of a separate conversation. But, um, you know, I think you have to be there's a there's a couple just good theological principles I think you have to consider. Yeah, oh. now, the, the analogy is is a good one that we're in a race. I mean, Paul uses that analogy Thank you. That's where of I was ministry going. and it's right. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, and absolutely. if you if you run with that analogy, that was a pun. If you run with it, if you run with that analogy, um, then you remember that it's a marathon, and like sometimes you gotta like put your hands on your knees and catch your breath. Yeah, that's um, right. And that's and that's okay, right? Um, but I think if, people are if thinking, you feel like you can't stop running. Then you're not you're not helping yourself. You're not helping anyone else either. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just the place where I'm at in life. It seems like a lot of people are thinking one year ahead or three years ahead, yeah. and maybe not five, ten, or twenty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is the exactly what you said about the marathon. And two people have to realize, 
Like, do you really believe that God is sovereign? Or yeah. do or do you think that if you let go, everything's going to fall yeah. apart because right. it's all on your shoulders? Right. Now, that's a theological shift. And right. nobody would verbalize that, no, God's not sovereign. I've got to take care of it. Nobody would actually say it. Yeah, but, but in they practicality, might live that way. we act like, yeah. like we... We or, just ignore the statement of, you know, the gates of hell won't prevail. Yeah, who's going to build the church? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we, we know the right thing to say, but does mm-hmm. our life match that? Yeah. And like you said earlier, do, you know, does our life match the life and the way of Jesus as much as what our words do? Yeah. yeah about the, the easy burden. When I think a good lesson in this whole conversation is that good ministry is, is steady, slow ministry. Um, it's it's faithfulness in very ordinary ways, and um, I think Jesus models it too. Jesus Jesus doesn't have like a really fast, um, dynamic ministry. He's he's very slow paced, and um, and and I think I think the lessons of of being ordinary Christians are valuable. And again, thank you guys for just modeling that well. And um, yeah, if you, Jason, if you want to be an elder, let me know. Okay, I will do that, um, and I would be. <laughs> Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm, Are you closing kind of out? Cl- oh, okay. I have a closing thought. I'd oh, okay. be remiss if I didn't. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, it's important. You understand. You know, we're talking here. today about um, kind of balancing uh, family and ministry. I think it's very important to to make sure that people who may be listening, um, who are single, like it's it's just as important for them. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to ministry, you know, burnout in the church, because um, they may look at like your family, for example, and say, I don't, I'm not married. I don't have right. five, 10 kids. Um, <laughs> however many kids you have these days, right. um, you know, they, they may say, I've got a lot more time, a lot more money, mm-hmm. uh, ways that I, and I, I think it's really important because, you know, there's a thousand good. Yes. You know, there's a thousand yeses we could say, but, um, what's really important is being able to say no, even mm-hmm. though that hurts and it stinks. Um, just like, with our car wash <laughs> membership that we had, you know, I just have to say no. I, we just, yeah. you just have to say no sometimes, even though, but you can also, um, y- you know, you can also say, you know, how, how can I help? Mm-hmm. How can I help in this? Like, I can't give you my time right now, but what's another way that I can help? Um, and that was something I was listening to earlier. Like somebody was talking about, um, food pantries and being somebody had asked them to serve and they said no i can't but what what is another way that i can serve i can't give you my time and she's like oh we'll just donate a couple cans of food or you know Mm -hmm. help promote us so that other people will see and i think it's important to know that because um because i think single people can get just as caught up in ministry um uh like overwhelming themselves with ministry work um and that's not good for them just as well as it's not good for families either. So. Yeah. yeah, and some of the people I've admired most in my tradition and upbringing from childhood on is those faithful older couples. They've been in the church 30, 40, mm-hmm. 50 years and just uh, steady as could be and faithful. And I, I, the older I get, the more that I admire that. Mm-hmm. So here's my parting thought. And, okay. Will, you get the last word naturally being the host. Yeah, I'm the host. I'm so in the we, host chair, so that's, that's okay. how it works. So we've, we've, so set, we've said a lot me. today. But I think I can encapsulate the whole conversation in a simple statement. My journey, Heather, maybe you could say our journey, has been one to ordinary faithfulness. Amen. And anything that could point us towards living a life of ordinary faithfulness is probably worth checking out for anybody listening to the podcast. Amen. That's a good parting word. Well, let me just let me just add one more parting word. Um you guys model this well, and as a pastor, one of the most helpful things you do for ministry is 
occasionally you guys just ask me, hey, you need me to do anything? And that's like, that's if, if you're listening and you don't know like what ministry should look like for you, that's one of the best things you can do in your church is ask one of your pastors, do you need me to do anything? Is there anybody you want me to check on? Heather, you're always great at like sending cards to people, or, you know, that kind of thing. And so like that's so helpful, and that's just like an ordinary small way that you can make a huge impact. And so thank you guys for sharing with us um, about your ordinary faithfulness and about how God's worked in your life and is continuing to work. And um, uh, thank you, listeners for checking out this episode of Front Porch Theology. Uh, You can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and you can find us on the New Heights mobile app where you can also submit a question. If you have any questions about uh, theology or life that you'd like us to talk about, feel free to submit that question, and we'll kick it around when Heather's a host again. But thank you for listening today, and we'll catch you on the next episode. (laughs) 